As long as they were on the reservation, they were Indian. As soon as they left in the uh, reservation, for whatever reason, they became three people of color. Then finally they became African-American, African-American, African-American. Same people, same people, same people. At the time, it's much better now, but at the time in 1958, we couldn't eat in the restaurants in Louisville. We couldn't eat downtown. One day I saw two Africans go in with their ropes and their turpins. They couldn't speak English. I heard the man say, let him in, they're not Negroes. Let him in, they're not Negroes. Let him in, they're not Negroes. I said, something's wrong. I can't say it's because I'm black, because they're so black and they're blue, but they went in. Welcome to Real Black Contenders Foreign Podcast. This is Big VJ checking in. Today's conversation, we're going to talk about some history. We are going to talk about some history. And in our conversation of history, right, we're going to connect the dots a little bit. And, um, you know, we're going to point out some wordplay, right? Because, um, see, there's some games going on. There's some games that's being played, right? And the playground that this game, or I should say, these games, these word games are taking place. They are all taking place in the wilderness of North America, right? So we're going to have a conversation about one of our great black Mexican leaders. His name is Montezuma. He took his reign. He sat on that big seat in the 1500s. And we're just going to talk about the description of Montezuma, right? Historically, right? His historical description. And we're going to talk about his historical label that was put on him, right? And then we're going to talk about how that historical label that was placed on him, how it was changed later, right? We, we're going to have that conversation, you know. You know, I want to say this as well. You know, on Real Black College of the Forum Podcast, you know, we talk about a lot of different subjects, of course. And, you know, um, we kind of let, you know, um, our commenters take the driver's seat for our conversations, right? So, you know, none of this stuff is original thought. You know, it's just um, kind of a little different from other platforms where, you know, they're just picking up topics and they just running with them. You know, we don't create our own topics here. We allow the commenters to get in the driver's seat and dictate our topics, right? So if you want to hear a certain thing or you want to discuss a certain thing, you got to jump into the comments. Right. You know, uh, we appreciate the lights. We appreciate the subscriptions. But if you kind of watch us, right, we don't ask you guys to thumb up the video. You know, we appreciate everything that's positive, but we don't ask. You know, we, we're not one of those guys. You know, you don't see us on this plat on this platform. We like, yo, thumb up the video. You know, every five minutes, let's get those thumbs up. Like, <laughs> no, we don't do that. Right. We, we're not asking you to subscribe every five minutes. You'll hit that subscription button. You know, this, that, the third. No, we ain't. You know, we ain't asking you to do that either. What we do ask, though, is that you comment and if possible, you know, share the video so we can get more comments. We need to get these comments up. Right. But while we, you know, while we do have a lot of participation, I want to say this as well. You know, it's something going on with YouTube. Right. You know, we can be found on a lot of different platforms. Right. Because this is a podcast. 
But something is going on with YouTube because we dropped the conversation last week. We're talking about relationships, right? And um, if you haven't seen it, go check it out and drop a comment on that, right? We're going to have a, you know, we're having a conversation about a, a married couple. And uh, he's like an older gentleman. And his wife is like, um, she's like 41 years old. And he caught her hand in a cookie jar, right? He caught her stepping out. And, you know, he's trying to. It's like he's using some shame and tactics and he's trying to embarrass the, the young lady and all this and all that. And um, needless to say, though, we had a good conversation about that because, you know, here on Real Black Content Forum Podcast, we stand on a position that um, when it comes to relationships, right, with the American Negro, black relationships. You know, the black American man in America haven't even, you know, we haven't earned the right to ask the black American woman for a divorce. We just haven't, we just, you got to have a lot of audacity to do that. To divorce the black woman for what? You haven't earned the right to do that. That's our position on this platform, right? So we had a conversation and um, we talked about, again, you know, a gentleman, he called his wife cheating. And, um, you know, that conversation got over 75 comments. But something about YouTube, none of those comments showed up. Now, you know, being that we run and operate this platform, we can see them through the notifications, right? You can see like a snippet of the comment that was posted. But when you go to the actual video, it's not there, right? So I'm saying all that to say this. There was a lot of great comments that came out of that conversation. And now... I'm half, you know, I'm kind of like thinking back. I'm noticing, yo, when we talk about relationships, we don't get a lot of comments. But when I go back to the notifications, it's always a lot of notifications. The comments are not, they're not being posted for some reason. I'm not exactly sure. So we got to figure some things out on this end of the fence, right? Because we on this side of the fence and we got to figure some things out because these comments is not getting posted. And um, that's what make our show the activity, right? But again, going back. There were great comments. I appreciate you guys for taking your time and making the comment. And yeah, you know, like we said earlier, you know, uh, we don't feel like the black American man have, you know, he earned the right in America to divorce his woman. And we feel like, you know, we're totally against divorce on this platform because we feel like coaching can fix everything. And we also feel like, you know, sometimes, especially when it comes to our village, our community, our neighborhood, you know, um, you know, three things normally spearheads divorce in America, and that's financial issues and mismanagement, and then you got infidelity, and then you got physical abuse, right? All three of those things we feel like can be fixed with coaching. So it's not like we live in the Middle East. You know, we pick our own spouses here. You know, we seek out and we pick our own spouses in this country. And I feel as though as the... Uh, you know, the black American man, once you, you know, you find out and you seek a spouse. It's your responsibility or she is your responsibility. And you guys are operating in this journey that we call life together. And you're going to push each other to be better people, better humans. And that comes through a friendship. Right. So when I hear the term divorce, I always put, you know, like divorce couples was couples that was never friends. How can you divorce your best friend? If that's your wife, beloved, I mean, goddamn, that's supposed to be 
your shorty thick and thin, a hundred grand. If she's off her square, what happened to picking your old lady up and making her better? What happened to working on your relationship? What happened to building on what you got? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what we was having. When we were talking about that conversation, that's what we were talking about. Yo, he called my man, the old school cat. If you didn't see the video, go check it out. He called his lady hand in the cookie jar twice. And you trying to embarrass her. Now, this is how I look at it, right? Because, um, you know, the message used to say this, right? He said, um, Islam is mathematics and mathematics is Islam. You can prove it at no limit of time. So the balance got to be there when we talk about mathematics, right? If my man is clowning his wife for stepping out on him, the balance of that should be he should be clowning his partners the same way if he catch them stepping out on their wives. That's a balance because the way it rotates on the fourth circle, all of y'all should be friends first, the best of friends. But see, the American black man, he don't want to have no responsibility for nothing. So what it is, is he lets his partners run around on their old lady and cheat on the old lady and everything like that. And for some reason in a relationship, you know, a lot of American black men, they feel like they can run around on their old lady and cheat and do all this kind of stuff under the sun. And then when they old ladies do it, it's different. They kind of make, oh, it's different when a woman do it. It's not the same and all this whole kind of, I don't know. It's weird, bro. It's weird, sis. But, you know, he's, he's not going to try to build his woman up. He doesn't see infidelity like many of us with the knowledge of self. He don't see infidelity as a form of mental illness, man. Don't you know infidelity is a form of mental illness? But, you know, the American black man, he he poke out his chest. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, she got out there. Sh uh, they got this little new saying. Uh, Shorty for the streets. <laughs> something like that. Like, she for the streets or something. And they get this term from an island Negro who's a hip-hop artist. And homie got like 10 kids with 10 different women. And you got the American black man taking up quotes, right? Taking up relationship advice from a guy with 10 kids through 10 different women. That's a rap artist from the island somewhere, bro. How does that work? Any, anything that can be destructive to the family unit, we forward. So with all that being said, it's no way that the American black man, he haven't even earned the right to talk about he going to divorce a black woman. Are you serious, bro? We're going to talk about Montezuma, but I'm going to say this real quick, right? We're talking about black love. The definition of love is how you treat somebody when they're at their lowest point. That's love, right? How do you treat somebody when you're at your lowest point, right? In the wilderness of North America, when you're in the penitentiary, you're at your lowest point. You can't get no lower than that. The grave is lower than that. Hades. Outside of being in Hades or Sheol, your lowest point is the can. Penitentiary. Prison. The big house. You at the bottom. Your lowest state. When we look at the relationship between a man and a woman, right, in our village, in our community. If you go to the jailhouse. The male jailhouse. The male prisons. Hopefully you guys don't have to do that. Hopefully you guys have never done that. But when you do have to go, right? That waiting room, 
that visiting room is packed. If you never ran into none of your loved ones, none of your, you can go to prison and go visit your peoples and you can run into the cousin you ain't seen in a long time, the auntie you ain't seen in a long time, you know, you, you run into everybody at the prison. You know what I'm talking about? Unfortunately, when it comes to black America, like they say, yo, prison is like a family union. Yo, that's real talk. Because when you go visit your peoples, you run, oh, what's up, man? I didn't know you was up here. You see the name on the visit and literally, oh, man, you up here too? That's how it works, man. Everybody supports the black American man in prison. Everybody. His baby mama's coming up there. His second baby mama's coming up there. His new girlfriend is up there to see him. Grandmama, granddad, all the aunties and uncles and cousins, we all support the black American man in prison, right? But dig this now. Some of us had aunties that was gangsters too. Some of us had sisters that was gangsters too. Some of us had mother-in-laws and stepmoms that was gangsters too. But I can assure you of this, beloved. If your baby mama was a gangster or your second baby mama is a gangster and all this and all that, if you ever visited that female prison, it's not the same. That visiting room is empty. The black man does not support the black woman the same way that she supports him at his lowest state. At his lowest state. Man, you go see. Only people you see up there in the visiting room, in the waiting room, when you go to the female prison, it's her homegirls. It's her homegirls bringing her, her kids to come. Homie ain't there. The black man ain't there. He ain't sitting out in the outside world. Can't wait till his woman get out. He's supporting her. He going on his one week visit every time for visitation. He ain't doing that. But she's doing that for him. Okay, that's at your lowest point, right? Now dig this. Let's come up one step higher. So in America, we got levels to this. You got the grave, which is at the bottom, of course. Right above the grave, you got penitentiary of course right above penitentiary you got what project housing and ghettos lowest state now they at the lowest state of the free world this black american woman will risk her her government voucher to have a grown ass black american man to stay in her home with her to pay no rent no nothing just love on her respect her kids respect her environment and everything like so and homie would still mess that up. He'd cheat on her at the lowest level. She will allow you to come in on her kids now. And she would take the money that she get from this devil government through that EBT card. Feed her babies and feed this grown ass man. And you know what he'd do to repay her? When he get rich off that jump shot. When he get rich off that microphone. When he get rich off running that football, he ain't got Shamika on his arms. He gonna go get his slave. He watch it now. Check this out. He's gonna transfer all of those millions of dollars that he made, so he can run around with his slave master's grandchildren, with his slave, with his former slave master's granddaughter on his arm. And this is the same Negro on a common level that is say. If this black American woman don't get it perfect and she don't do everything right in this marriage, I'm going to divorce her. Divorce her? Huh? She been getting everything right. She been, for centuries she been doing you right, brother. And then you're going to hold her to, 
So now we need the real black American man to step up and say, I don't care what this woman do. I'm responsible for her. I love her. Whatever she get into, I'm going to love her out of that. Whatever I get into, she going to love me out of that. And if we got to get coaching to the day we die, we're going to get coaching to the day we die. But we cannot, we cannot sign up for being single parents no longer. We cannot sign up for having our communities filled with single parents to the tune of 78% no longer. We can't sign up for, we got, that's the first step. We appreciate the blended families, but now we got to go to our future and we got to have all of our children by one woman and one man. And when we get, we rock up and we lock up, we got to stay together. Divorce can't be an option for black folks. Divorce can't be an option for black folks. That's why the foreigners can come in and take over your neighborhoods. You know why? They coming in as a family unit. How you going to compete with the Koreans and you a single parent? How you, I'm going to say it again. How are your people going to compete with these Koreans and y'all just single parents? How you going to compete? These East Indians coming over in the family unit. How you going to compete? These Arabs coming over in the family unit. How you going to compete? You can't compete. How you going to compete with a, with a family, a hub and a wife, and you sitting in the crib by yourself as a black American man getting ready to go to the club and your babies is sitting in a, some and your baby mama's house on the other side of the city, right? With a new man over them, not protected. That should give you shivers, brother. To have your baby mama, your children live in a roof that's not under yours, man. You don't know. I mean, God, man, there's so much sexual abuse going on in our families, but we're going to sweep that under the rug. We're going to say, you know, we're going to allow black artists to come out and tell us that shorty is for the streets. What about, but we're going to put the black woman out in the streets for acting improper. We ain't put Uncle June. We ain't say Uncle June is for the streets. Because Uncle June been touching on your sister. Been touching on your cousins. Uncle June been touching on the the young ladies in y'all family for long as anybody can remember. But we ain't throwing Uncle June out there. We keep that quiet. We're gonna throw, we're gonna say the black woman is for the streets. Huh? How does that work? But maybe that's a different story for a different day, right? We're gonna press on. We're talking about history, right? We're gonna say that conversation because you know. But you know, you can lose our people when you talk real. You can hey man, they get lost quick. They got down. <laughs> You understand what I'm saying? You know, you know, you got to, uh, man, you got to be able to heal black women, man. Your love should be able to heal her, man. You know, that's all I'm saying. You know, man, we coming out these projects, these ghettos, these inner cities, and man, the trauma that the black American woman have been through. God damn it, brother. If she can't depend on you to be there through thick and thin, who the hell can she depend on? God, I guess our, our brother say this, this is a thing. I mean, God, I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe that's a different story for a different day. We're going to talk about Montezuma. We're going to talk about some history. Um, we're going to go to our first source, right? The American Encyclopedia, History, Biography, and Travel, Ancient and Modern History. And this is coming out of Baltimore, 1860, right? We just want to establish, what did this brother look like, Montezuma? And the first time, you know, many of our people heard his name is when they um it's like a marine 
it's a marine joint, right? Where the marines say, you know, uh, from the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli. You ever heard that? Yeah, that's that. You know, many of our brothers was on that marine plantation, and um, you know, I, I I say this all the time, beloved. Listen, if you have to send your babies to any of those military plantations, you know, maybe the Air Force would be your best bet, right? They call that the chair force. Put them in blue. You know, the rest of those, you know, they got to be careful out there with the rest of those branches of service, right? But it's important that we also know what is the true definition of military. What does military mean? In the United States, like what, when somebody say they're in the military, what does that mean? You know, what is the makeup of the military? Many of us with knowledge of self, our definition of military is this. In terms of the United States, the military is a place where old white folks tell young white folks who to shoot. That's all the military is. Don't make it fancy. Don't make it hard. Just keep it simple. The military is where old white folks tell young white folks who to shoot. That's it. And then some of our people, they say, ah, as a master, I, I can shoot for you too. <laughs> I just got a gun. Where did I sign up at? Sign up here, boy. <laughs> but dig though if you're gonna sign up sign up with that up for us say I, i'm gonna sign i ain't finna shoot now just sign me up <laughs> i can sit in the chair somewhere give me a check <laughs> the gi bill works just as good i'm just saying we having fun man we just talking we having fun everybody yo on, on a real note right on some realness everybody that supported the military we appreciate you Cause don't get it twisted. If you are a taxpayer, you know we can't get that pro black. Well, the military is this. The military is that. All citizens that work through taxes is funding the military. So we all in the United States military. We just having fun. We just talking, right? We're gonna talk about the description of Montezuma, and um, we provided the source. Of course, we always put the links in the description box, right? We're gonna go to page four twenty eight. We're gonna have a good conversation. Uh, we're going to drop down to, um, we're going to go about three sentences in, right? And it says, the great Montezuma was at this time aged about 40 years. So we're talking about when he met these Spanish explorers, when he came in contact uh, specifically with Cortez, right? The great Montezuma was at the age about 40 years of good stature, well-proportioned, and thin. His complexion was much fairer than that of the Indians. He wore his hair short, just covering his ears, with a little beard, well arranged, thin and black. Uh, let's stop this hand of conversation, right? The writer here comes right at the back and he says that, we talk about the complexion of Montezuma. He says, he was a little lighter, because that's what fair means. When you say somebody is fair, he said, he's a little lighter than the Indians, right? Okay, so now if he's a little lighter than the Indians, we got to establish what was the, of that time, what was the natural considered tone, skin tone of an Indian, right? Because we see the Indians today. Um, how many of you guys seen the recent 
picture of the uh, Cherokee chief. You ever seen who? Who's seen? Uh, I think his name is Bill Baker, right? Who's seen Bill Baker? <laughs> you dig? Who's seen Bill? Bill Baker is the chief. You know, so uh, um, I don't know the other guy's name. He's uh, he's uh, who come after Bill, but I think his name is Bill. If I'm not, I need somebody to look that up for me. But Bill is uh, if we try to put that in the context of this writer, Bill is a little light. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Bill is light. I don't think you can get much lighter than Bill. So historically, what was the complexion of the Indians to be a little lighter than a, the average Indian? Um, I think it was Crayola years ago used to make, um, they call it mahogany now, right? But there was a time that Crayola had a colored crayon. And the color of the crayon was Indian red, right? Because some of our people, we get confused when they say, he's a red man, he's a red man. They're not talking about fire truck red, you know. Uh, we get a little confused when they say, oh, this person was olive color. So we got to put that in context because we know there was no green people running around, right? We know olive comes in two colors, right? <laughs> but that um, they discontinued. You know, labeling that crayon that way. But Indian red, if you put it up to the majority of us, our skin, in the winter, this is North America, right? The American Negro would be considered Indian red, right? Not Bill Baker's skin tone. Your skin tone is going to be Indian red. But maybe that's a different story for a different day. But I'm just talking about context. If Montezuma was a little lighter than the average Indian, what did the average Indian look like? If they are the people today, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, if uh, the people that, you know, um, have that label of Indian on them and living on reservations and X, Y, Z, they're pretty light already. Can you imagine a writer saying, is they a little lighter than that? How could you be? You can't get there. If you're lighter than that, you'd be a so-called white person. You'd be a, you'd be a devil. But let's let's continue because we're going to talk a little bit about, more about description of this Mexican king and ruler Montezuma. So we're going to go to another source. And uh, this is the uh, archaeological and ethnological papers of the Peabody Museum, Harvard University. We're going to talk about a standard or headdress. This is coming from ancient Mexico. And uh, 1888 is when this was published right and again they're talking about an historical essay on a relic of ancient mexico i didn't want to just say ancient mexico leave that part out right dig that so let's take a look at the inside we're going to go right to page let's do five let's can we do five let's go to the last paragraph in five and we're going to read a little bit we're going to stop again we're going to have a conversation right it's earliest record dating as far back as 1596 was found in the first inventory of the ambrose collection written one year after the now we get page six demise of the archduke Ferdinand and tyrone the founder of the collection by the imperial commissioners appointed to revise his will on folio 472 of this ancient document it is catalogued with other objects in the featherwork contained in a chest 
and they're talking about number nine. And it's described as a Moorish hat of beautiful, long, luxurious green and gold hue feathers, beducked above with white, red and blue feathers, and gold rosettes and ornaments. So we're talking about the hat of Montezuma. Right? The hat of Montezuma. They got it on record and file as it recorded down. They got the description of the hat. And it was labeled a Moorish hat. That's interesting, right? Uh-oh. Why would we name a hat from a ruler a Moorish hat? Are you how many of you guys are familiar with Moors? Where are the Moors from? What do the Moors look like? What do a Moorish hat look like? Right? But there's more about the hat, right? In front on the forehead, it has a beak of pure gold. The term Moorish, as he replied, can scarcely be regarded as a deceptive one in so much as Montezuma, the king of Timistian and Mexico. It is subsequently designated as a Moorish king in this same inventory, 1596. Let's stop the a conversation. The term Moorish, the person Montezuma, and they designated this individual as a Moorish king. Why a Moorish king? He's a little lighter than the Indians. Moorish king. What does a Moorish king look like? You know, we can all just kind of, um, we can cut to the chase and then we can just pull up the Google, right? And then just, we can Google search more Moorish king, but that'd be too easy. <laughs> what does a Moorish king look like? Let's go to the next paragraph, right? It is interesting to note the gradual changes that occur in the wording of the subsequent periodical official registrations of this Moorish hat, quote unquote. In 1613, it's descriptive and faithfully reproduced. In 1621, the word Indian, quote unquote, was substituted for Moorish. With a single alteration, the original text was again transcribed in 1730. Let's stop. Let's build on that. We got a switcheroo that took place. We got a switcheroo that took place. Right? In literature, in documentation, a switcheroo took place. Indian was substituted for Moorish. Why? Why? Why would you... Why? Because today they call that hat an Indian apron. Not a Moorish apron. Not a Moorish hat that's done away with. An Indian apron. Why? Now, you know, you got to really just consider like, man, you know, because we're talking about the territory of Mexico. We're talking about artifact and relics that come out of Mexico. We talk about the term Indian a lot. And then we can see a switcheroo that took place where something that was originally called a Moorish hat 
someone like Montezuma was called originally a Moorish king. If you do research on Montezuma today, he's all Indian. If you do research on his hat, it's an Indian hat now. They threw that term Moorish out of the window. Why did they do that? I'm just asking a question. Like, why did they do that? Why did you think they did that? Right? Montezuma was in, what do I think they call it today? Mexico City? If I'm not mistaken. Mexico City. And then you had that whole landmass of Mexico that went from all the way to the to the northernest point of Central America to I want to say half of Louisiana and then it cut cross back over west to like the most southernest point of what we call Washington State. All of that territory was all called Mexico. The whole joint. The whole joint. What does the term Olmec mean? When they say there's an Olmec head. What does that mean? The etymology of Olmec. What does that mean? So like. When we talk about Mexico. Who lived in that territory? What kind of people lived in that territory? We see the Mexicans there today. Did they have some company? How many Mexicans today. They going to call the Moorish king. How many hats do they call today a Moorish hat that they wear in Mexico? I'm like, I'm just asking questions at this point. You're taught that in America that questions bring forth information, right? So we're just asking a question like, how does that work? Um, You know, Real Black Contest Forum Podcast, when we talk about the American Negro, right? We talk about our people being in Central America, South America, and the islands. And then we also talk about there's pockets of us, California, right? And then you got the Moors that was in northeast portion of America. We call Connecticut and Rhode Island. And then we got our people found in the Carolinas. And then you got uh, our people found in, let's just say, southeast territory of what we call the United States, right? Our people that was found in California... Those American Negroes that was there, how did they get there? Because they teach us that we got dropped off in a slave ship on the on the West Coast, right? Oh no, no, pardon me, I'm tripping. We got dropped off in that slave ship on the East Coast in Virginia, sixteen nineteen. You know, they give you the soul story, right? And then we all, I guess, we all filled up everything on that on the eastern portion of the United States. So that mean in order for us to get to California, that's going to be a lot of walking, a lot of, a lot of something. That's going to be a lot of something. So how do you get American Negroes in California? Where did they come from? I can uh, cut the chase and help you guys out. They came from Mexico. The first documented black population Negro population in California came from Mexico. They didn't come off no slave ship. They came from Mexico. Let me show you guys something else real quick. Because I'm going to show you how there's some word games being played. And 
sometimes we got to deal with a switcheroo every now and then. And sometimes we got to come back and connect the dots. Right? We're going to talk about one more source. And then we're going to have a conversation, right? Documents printed by the order of the House of Representatives of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts during the session of the General Court, 1847. So, you know, if you don't know by now, when you come to Real Black Consciousness Forum podcast, many of the documents that we read, we have a conversation about, man, they're going to be like 16th, 17th, 18th century, 19th century. We kind of keep it like that. 20th century, 21st century, everybody's African. <laughs> they do a switcheroo right in front of your face. You know, um, there's no more Negro History Week. There's no more Negro History Month. It's African American History Month. They're going to put that African label. It's weird, man. They're going to stick that African label on you by any means necessary. Negro is being swapped out with Africa in real time. So they can go back. They're changing documents in front of our face. So that original 1619, 20-and-some-odd niggas, they changed that to 20-and-some-odd Negroes, and they changed that to 20-and-some-odd Africans. You see a lot of switcheroo games with these words, right? On one of my previous conversations, because we're using it, we know we're talking about the term more. It was Rhode Island. It was Connecticut. It was right around the King Philip's War. Right? It was that, that territory, right? Rhode Island, Connecticut. Do they call that the tri is that part of the tri-state area? I'm not sure. Right? They use that term tri-state area. I think they throw Jersey in there too, right? In any event though, right around King Philip's War, there was a battle that took place, and in this battle, the Moors was involved in the battle. If you research that battle today, the Moors disappear somehow. Because if I can show you a war that took place with 600 Moors in the 1600s, you're going to say, well, how did they get these guns? First of all, like, how did that doesn't make sense. The guys just got here in 1619 in Virginia. And then you get a well-armed community of Moors in less than 100. Like, how does that work? Nobody can explain that to you. So it's easier just to change more to Indian and just leave it alone because I could just play a word game on you you won't you won't never get it right let's talk about some some word play let's talk about some word games right we're still talking about the territory of the United States and uh, we produce the source and we're gonna start right at the beginning we can see in the House of Representatives the chairman of the Committee of Foreign Affairs right and they have his name on the 3rd of February, 1845, made his remarkable declaration to the same effect. He said, and we're going to quote him speaking, The stupendous deserts between the Nueces and the Bravo Rivers, which is in Texas, are the natural boundaries between the Anglo-Saxon, which is devils, and the Maritanian races. Let's stop. Who is the Maritanian races? That's a natural boundary. The Bravo Rivers. In Texas, a natural boundary. You know what the boundary is? You know what the boundary is? Is when your rule stop and another people's rule begin. That's a boundary. There ends the Valley of the West. There, Mexico begins. 
Thence, beyond the Bravo, begin the Moorish people and their Indian associates to whom Mexico properly belongs, who should not cross that vast desert if they could, as we, on our side too, ought to stop there, because interminable conflicts must ensue our going south or their coming north of the gigantic boundary. Let's not let's build on that, right? We're talking about the House of Representatives. We're talking about some devils on the highest level. We're talking about Texas. We're talking about the Bravo. That's that big boy river in Texas. Where my Texas people at? That's that big boy river over there, right? We're talking about where the border of Mexico begins. Who's living there? The Moorish people. Who else is living with them? Their Indian associates. To whom Mexico, what? Properly belongs. It belongs to who? The Moorish people and their Indian associates. What is your associates? Like, what does the associates mean? This is my associate. We say that in the hood. Hey, yo, that's your man? Nah, man. You know, that's my associate. That mean, uh, we just in the same territory. I rock with you, but I don't really rock with you. We two different people. We talking about who Mexico belongs to. When you get the American Negro running around talking about some, we was always here. They ain't tripping. <laughs> Uh-oh. You didn't know it's some Moorish people living in Texas. Now, yo, dig. This is what? They made this out of 1845. What happened to them folks that lived there? Did it just disappear? How come they not on no plantation? What happened? They ain't on no plantation. Like, what's going on? Like, what happened to these Moors people that lived there with the Indian associates in Texas? What happened to them? I can tell you what happened to them, right? If, because I'm a guessing man, right? If I was to guess, these descendants of these Moors people, they probably had prayer view somewhere, you know, with. Hey, uh, <laughs> but you know, they probably like AKAs, you know what I'm saying? They probably like Omegas, you know what I'm saying? They Sigmas, they Kappas, and they calling themselves African American. <laughs> they say they African American. <laughs> they don't even know their people was always here. Like, straight up, like, we're reading a document out the House of Representatives. What happened to the Moorish people? It was a man that came in the early 1900s. His name was uh, Noble Drali. And he was one of the first ones that we, you know, that made it to a, uh, like he made it to a level of prominence. And he started talking about re, you know, he wanted to reestablish the American Negro with their Moorish identity. Right. Um, that was the true nationality of the American Negro. A lot of us out, man, you know, draw Lee bugging. And they felt as though, like, he just came out of the blue. He just, he was kind of talking for him. People wasn't used to that, right? But what we do know, if we look at basic history, we know when the Civil War took place, right? So we know, I always give it that six-year, that, that spin. I give it that six-year spin. I say, you know, from, 16, from 1860 to 1866, I give it that spin. Because a lot of stuff happened in this country between those years. 
But what we do know is everybody that's a Negro before 1860 is supposed to be a slave. And then we keep finding this person is free. This person to be like, man, how do so many free Negroes running around here? Like, how do these free Negroes everywhere? So we like, yo, when he free, who did he free? What was that really about? And then how come we don't know nothing about? Because check this out. This is why you got to go back to old documents. When you start to look up this to find out, you know, when they talk about uh, who Mexico belongs to, that Moorish, it ain't there. That's gone. Let's read it again. Thence beyond the Bravo begin the Moorish people and their Indian associates to whom Mexico properly belongs to. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What are we going to do, family? I'm cherry picking on this one, too. You always cherry picking. <laughs> you picking this out? You picking it out? Uh-uh, man. Hey, man, somebody is pulling your leg, bro. Somebody pulling your leg, sis. Come down, sit at the table with us. Take that dashiki off. Let's, because, you know, take that dashiki off first so you ain't going to be able to hear me with that shit. Or you got all that, you know, um, the cow's been pissing on your head and all that. Take all that off and sit at the table. And we're going to talk about where you really from. We're going to talk about what land is really yours. Because the devil already telling you who Mexico belongs to. Today, the American Negro, he don't think he got no dealings in Mexico. He think he has absolutely no dealing in Mexico. So now we throw in this term, we, we in the land of Mexico from the southernest tip back up to Texas. And we got two situations. We got American Negro sitting in the highest seat down there. What we would call today the area of Mexico City named Montezuma. He's called the Moorish King. His hat is labeled as the Moorish hat. It was swapped out and changed for Indian. And then we come back up to Texas and we see a whole community and a landmass that was filled with Moorish people in Texas. And I can guarantee you we couldn't find that place today. What happened? I'm going to let you guys figure that on your own. Dig that. Peace and black power to your family. Thank you guys so much for listening, man. We just asking questions. Because I can tell you what, every time we keep digging, we ain't finding that ship yet. Y'all looking for that ship. We keep finding more Negroes. <laughs> we keep finding these Negroes in the island. Now we found some in Texas. We found some in southern southern Mexico. We finding these Negroes all over the place, but we still looking for the ship. <laughs> Until next time, man. Peace of Black Power, man. This big VJ, man. Real Black Content is Form Podcast. Beloved, I'll get it with you guys later. Peace.
you're